this morning as we continue looking at a series together. Uh, I'm, we're going to read from the book of Matthew. So if you have a copy of the scriptures and would like to turn there, feel free. It'll be on the screen. Um, a couple different short parables of Jesus. Um, in Matthew chapter 13, and then again, in, and then a couple of verses in 14. So a short passage, but uh, some interesting words from Jesus as we continue uh, some of the conversation that we have, have been in. I want to read the passage, and then on the other side of doing that, um, we're growing more and more familiar, but it's a relatively new practice to us that we'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and your response, uh, thanks be to God, and then we'll let it sit for a moment. We'll sit in silence again and allow the passage to kind of simmer and stew in our souls before I share some words about it. So starting Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 31. It says, here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. And then jumping forward to verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Those of you in the room, those of you on the screen that are wondering why there's a headphone on this or a headphone on this side and a microphone on this side, where technology requires us to record in a multitude of ways so that we have some redundancy in case we run into problems. Uh, we did have one of those last week. Um, so just to, to help make sure that, that everything works on that, we're kind of double and triple recording things uh, to make sure everything's covered. So a few weeks ago, we started a series that was intended to be a two-week series. Uh, intentionally, the, the plan was that I was going to share and talk about noticing for a couple weeks. And in it, going to look at a spiritual practice that uh, for me and for my family has been really important over the last several months of walking through this pandemic, we, we were going to talk about the idea of, of noticing, which we've done. And in that, we talked about two practices, two, two pieces that kind of make up this spiritual practice of noticing. We talked about lament, and we talked about blessing, with the idea that, that you and I would continue to consider these practices and what they look like, that we, that we might practice them, uh, both together and then personally in our own journey with Jesus, and then the idea that we would continue to walk forward in thinking about how they might impact and influence us uh, as we continue to walk forward in our journey of faith, still in difficult times, still with lots of questions, but honestly, whether we're in these abnormal times or very normal times, this practice of noticing is so special, so important. 
it is so valuable a practice to notice the things that we grieve where we need to lament and to notice the areas where we have been blessed and we need to, to speak into that blessing, to notice that blessing and to give thanksgiving. And yet with the intent of stopping, I started thinking about this time, we would do two weeks, and then as I was thinking about this time, it was in the last week or two, recognizing that eventually the time that we're in will transition to something new. There's something different that will come, that will happen. We may never go back to normal, but surely change will come. As we learn more about this virus and how it works and how to treat it, and what that means that we should do in order to move forward. It's my hope and prayer that at the same time change will come with regards to other historical sicknesses that we see, scenes that we see of, uh, of, of racist treatments, of treatments of people that look different than us, that are kind of bubbling up and surfacing in our culture, that change will come, that change is on the horizon. And as change comes, with whatever it is, in whatever way, something always comes alongside it. Very naturally, we're also put in a place that as change comes, we are pushed to make choices. We have to make decisions about what we'll do and where we'll go, about how we'll live and how we'll move forward. So it seemed like an important next step for us to talk about, as we talk about noticing, and we talk about lament and blessing, our grieving and our thanksgiving, that we also talk about a next step that kind of flows out of this practice, which is making choices. Making decisions and how noticing, how lament and blessing should influence those choices we make as we move forward. So in our, what we call our invitation to worship, our time of, of silence, of lighting the candle, of stillness, of reading the passage of scripture, we read the passage that we've been reading over the last several weeks. We read from Romans chapter 8 again. We looked back at that same passage for several reasons. One is because it happened to be this week that the Revised Common Lectionary, which is usually where we get those readings, that was the passage this week. That was the New Testament passage, the epistle passage. But also, we read it again so that we can remember. So that we can remember what we've been talking about as we've been talking about groaning or lament, as we've been talking about blessing, and that passage speaks to the blessings of Christ's love, the blessings of the truth, that we can never be separated from God's love. So even as we're dealing with lament, with heartache, with pain, as I look at your faces, and I know that some of you are in the very midst of that right now, we can still recognize there have been blessings, and this passage speaks to what some of those are. The love of Christ, the inability to be separated from God. But also this morning, I want to point out two other words that are in the passage that I think are important for us to, to notice and to think about. The first is the word glory, and it's in verse 30. It says this, it says, And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. The second is the word victory. It's in verse 37. It says, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. 
I feel like these two words can be hard words for us to, to kind of wrestle with and figure out what we're supposed to do with. The idea of glory, the idea of victory. Glory, for many of us, even as I thought about it this week, feels like this kind of far-off thing. This thing that we hope might happen one day, this thing that we look forward to. Some of us perhaps have in our, in our minds ideas of what life would look like after this life. We have these, these images or these thoughts of, as it speaks about glory, surely it's talking about heaven that, that comes one day for believers, this thing that we experience in the future. Maybe you imagine bright lights and gardens and flowing water and everything being at peace. Also, as we notice our life and we think about what's going on and what we're experiencing, both in the midst of a pandemic and before and surely after, Life doesn't always feel very victorious, does it? This groaning that Romans 8 speaks to, the groaning that it says creation does, the church joins creation in doing, the Holy Spirit joins the church and creation in doing, this groaning often has us at the place that we feel like victims, not victors. The reality as we look at our life is that life is still hard, Many of us are wrestling with the idea that we feel trapped in our homes. As we look to the news or we read through social media, we find ourselves angry at someone for something. And sometimes we know what it is, and other times we don't even know what it is. We just know that we're, we're angry about something that we've now seen or taken in. Some of us feel as if we have somehow been mistreated. Like we deserve more than we have right now. Many of us begin to struggle, and we struggle with our own fears, we struggle with our anxieties, with our disappointments, with our temptations, with our pride issues, and all of these struggles that are there that we see, that we know, that we wrestle with. There's some of us that are in jobs that feel far less than fulfilling. Maybe some of us in marriages that feel like they're right at the brink of extinction. Perhaps you're in a situation where your kids are driving you crazy. And as you're wrestling with all of this, burdened with all of this, it doesn't feel like victory. Some of us are experiencing loved ones who are sick, who are dying or getting closer and closer to that, some who have already died. And I think that all of these pressures and these pains put us in a place that as we think about victory, we think, yes, maybe victory comes one day, but it sure doesn't feel like it's here yet. It sure doesn't feel like it has arrived yet. So maybe, maybe I'll get there. I want us to notice what it is that Romans says about both of these words, what it is that Paul wrote as he wrote about the idea of glory and he wrote about the idea of victory. In verse 30 it says, He gave them His glory. Notice the word, He gave. So the important word is glory, but notice that gave is there. It doesn't say that He may give. It doesn't even say that He will give. The word that is used to describe glory is past tense. He gave His glory. It has already happened. It's not some far off place or time or state of being that we will one day find ourselves in. And then in verse 37, as we look at that one, and Paul speaks to victory, he says, overwhelming victory 
is ours through Christ. Is present tense, done deal. It's already happened. It's not about us somehow over, overpowering all these difficulties that come in life and, and we've not arrived at, diffi- at, at victory until all of them are gone. But instead, Paul said, Jesus has already given his glory. Has already given us victory. Glory is ours. Victory is ours. Period. Maybe exclamation point. It's happened. So what is it that we do when it doesn't always feel that way? When it doesn't look that way? When it doesn't seem like those things are true for us, even though the scriptures proclaim that they are? I want to look back at Jesus' words in the book of Matthew. Look back at what it is that Jesus had to say as Jesus talked about this idea of the kingdom. Jesus said that the kingdom... Is like a mustard seed. Tiny and easily overlooked. But something big is coming. He says the kingdom is like, like yeast, this, this powder that seems insignificant, but once it's spread into the dough and kneaded around, it overtakes every bit of it. And all of the dough is changed because of this little bit of yeast that was added. The kingdom is like a treasure that's been hidden in a field. It's like a pearl of great value, of unmeasurable value. The kingdom, I think, can be used somewhat synonymously with the idea of glory and victory. It's sometimes hard to see. More often than not, we have to look for it or we might even miss it. This is what pushes us back to the reason that we've been talking about this idea of this spiritual practice of noticing. Because if we aren't watching for God at work, there's a good chance that we miss it, that we don't see where God is working, what it is that God is trying to do. So as we notice, yes, we lament because we recognize this is not consistent with what we feel like the scriptures say God desires, God wants, God intends, God dreams of. So we lament, we groan that reality. But we also give thanks. Because as we notice, as we look, we recognize that there are blessings that we've seen, blessings that we have experienced. But we have to look. We not miss them. We have to notice or we get caught up and maybe even overwhelmed with news stories and social media feeds and scrolling through this endless, mindless stuff that is irrelevant and doesn't matter because we weren't paying attention. Something else distracted us from noticing what God desired to do. We have already been given glory. We have already been given victory. We have already been given access to the kingdom. We have to look for it. One of my favorites of these stories of these illustrations as we think about this is as Jesus pointed out the treasure that was hidden in the field. As he pointed out the way in which it took place. As we think about that and what it looks like, we can recognize we have to make choices based on noticing God at work. The man in the story was looking when he ran across a treasure. Otherwise, you don't find a buried treasure. 
he was looking for a treasure buried in a field and when he was looking he found that treasure and once he found the treasure it says that he buried it again so that he could go sell everything else he had go get rid of every other distraction everything else that was in the way and fully pursue the treasure he had to have the field that had the treasure in it because nothing else mattered now that he'd experienced it his choices were made because he noticed the treasure hidden in a field. So we won't take a vote because if we did, some of you perhaps would end up in trouble, but I think I can say that it's probably unanimous that none of us desired that a pandemic would overwhelm the globe over the last four or five months. Again, you don't have to show hands because if some of you say you did desire that, you might be in trouble from the rest of us. It's not what we hoped for. That's not what we chose. That's not what we were looking for. It's probably not what any of us would choose again. And yet if we're intentional about looking at our life, about recognizing what is going on in us, then I think it's possible that we might find that there are some aspects of our living in these days that have been good. Maybe even better than before. There are ways in which we have been changed, ways in which we have experienced some beautiful and powerful new things that have changed us for the good. As we look to these blessings, as we lament the things that we've lost, we find ourselves in the place of needing to make choices. What will I keep from this time? And what is it that I'm giving back that I don't want anymore? What will I pursue because of this experience, because of this time of distancing and masks and a a different way of living and and working from home and all the realities that it brought in? What is it that I'll pursue and what is it that I desire to return to the way it was beforehand? What will I run towards after this? And what am I going to leave behind because I never need to pick that up again? We have to make choices. We have to decide because if we don't, we'll get pushed right back into the way that things were. Right back into the crowd, right back into the masses, right back into what society and the culture says needs to be important to us. We'll end up right back where we were because standing still is never an option. We either choose to go in a different direction or we get swept up in the flow of what's happening with everyone else. So we can choose to live victorious into the glory that Paul says Jesus has already given us. Or we can live as victims, believing that someday things might get easier. Maybe already in your mind you have ideas or thoughts of some things that you've experienced. But I want to share a couple of things with you that for us have been valuable during this time that is, is changing how we want to make choices as we move forward. One of those that has been really significant is that we have created some practices around a couple of our meals that we really, really have valued. And we began talking about two months ago, we hoped we never lost these. We hoped we continued to pursue and maintain these. <clears throat> we have these times that we talk with our kids about what God is doing and about what we want to ask of God in our day and as we move forward. So in our house, we have breakfast with Jesus. 
not every morning, but most mornings, we imagine what it's like that Jesus is at the breakfast table with us, and we talk through what it is that's happening in our day, what's going forward, who it is that we want to ask God to take care of. Many of you get mentioned as our kids come up with different folks, or we know different things that are going on in your life. And it's gotten to the point that our kids come and say, is it time for breakfast with Jesus? It's become this pattern of what happens with us. And and at dinner, we often will stop and walk through some of these practices and noticing. We'll notice what's been hard in the day. We'll notice what's been good about our day. And we'll talk about those things together as our kids. And we would like to continue to keep these practices. Even as life is becoming more normal and moves into some form of normalcy in the days and weeks and months ahead. Some other great things. This week, I was trying to get Wilson to go to sleep, and I walked in and I said, Dub, it's time for you to go to sleep. Stop playing. If you don't be still, I'm going to have to come in here and lay down with you. And he said, Daddy, I think if you do, I'll go to sleep. So what do you do? I pull all my stuff to him, and I went and laid down with my four-year-old. And we both fell asleep for a while, and then I got up and let him finish the rest of his nap. While I was preparing for the sermon, I can't remember if it was the same day or a different day, Emmy, our daughter, our six-year-old, comes into the room and she stands beside me at the desk. So I intentionally pushed back from the desk and I took her up in my arms and I just held her for a bit and I kissed her on the cheek and we took those moments together. I don't get to do those things when I'm working in this building during the week, hidden away, trying to write. But those interruptions are worth it to me. And I'm not sure I want to ever give them up. We've had special times with our family during this season that I'm not sure we would have had if we'd been living in the busyness of overwhelmed life as we tend to know. I've had some really special, significant times with Jesus that I don't want to give up just because life gets busier in some way when we go back to running and moving and driving everywhere. I think Callie and I might be more spiritually attuned with one another and with the Holy Spirit now than ever before in our marriage as we've walked through this season together. We've noticed these things. We've seen these things. We've made some intentional choices to pursue them and we want to choose to continue to pursue them as we walk forward. Friends, we never desire that a crisis will come. But it's so important that we recognize that the times of crisis, times of difficulties, are opportunities. There are opportunities for us to make choices based on noticing what God is doing. We can drift back into life unchanged on the other side of this. She's fine. She's fine. Not bothering us a bit. We love it. We could drift back in unchanged by what's going on. And if we do so, I believe this is a wasted opportunity. I actually believe with all of my heart that God is crying out to us and to the church and saying, don't waste this. Not because God in some way inflicted it upon us, but because it's happening and God's working to redeem it. And God is saying, don't waste this. So I want to encourage you. How can you be intentional about noticing and about making choices as you continue to walk forward. Maybe one of the things that you ought to consider doing is beginning to journal some things. And maybe each day you stop and you take some moments and you say, what's been hard about today? And you lament. You cry out to God these things that don't seem to line up with what God has told you should be true. 
Maybe in that journal you also write about what's been good about today. It's not just about belly aching and whining and grieving, but also recognizing there have been some blessings. Specifically, what have they been? And we speak those blessings, we write them down so we can remember them, and then as we look at those things, we're able to make choices. Choices about how we want to move forward. About how we want to choose glory and victory that we've already been given about how we want to pursue the kingdom that we pray for. We pray on earth as it is in heaven. How do we pursue the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven? How do we choose to take hold of the scripture that tells us what we've already been given? We have been given glory. We have been given victory. It is ours for the taking. So what choices will you and I make as we look to go forward? Will you pray with me? Jesus, call us, challenge us, inspire us. Help us notice what you're doing and choose to join in it as we walk forward. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.